You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Matt. I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. So hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today's topic looks into the accountability of an engineer, with a specific top being giving developers freedom and ownership. Can you give too much? To expand on this topic, I'm joined by three senior leaders in the Sydney engineering industry. So firstly, let's start with some introductions for our panelists with who you are, uh, what, you, what you do, and what you are passionate about. So I'll kick things off again. I'll start with you, Yihan, if you could please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So my name is Yihan. I'm an engineering manager in Landy. I have been here for about six years. Uh, we build digital platforms to simplify the home loan experience for customers and brokers. I joined as a, a junior developer before senior developer, team lead, and now uh, all the way working as an engineering manager today. Um, I'm passionate about building productive software engineering teams and also guiding them through building out products that deliver real values and impacts to the industry. Awesome. Thanks, Ayhan. And I'll pass it on to you next, Ed. Thanks, Matt. So my name's Ed Hattrick-Smith, and I'm an engineering manager at Dovetail. And I've worked at Dovetails for, for about 10 months now. So I look after the platform teams that are a combination of like, you know, infrastructure, DevOps, um, data formats, some other, some other areas that they own. Um, and Dovetail effectively makes a customer research platform. It's probably the easiest way to describe it. It's about 100 employees at the moment. It's a startup kind of moving into scale up territory. And their, their mission ultimately is to improve the quality of everything. So while it's kind of a new domain uh, in terms of a new, new product domain, the, the scope for the company in the long run is, is pretty enormous, which is really exciting. In terms of what I'm excited about, I'm, I'm really into engineering leadership and leadership theory, and I, I consider myself a, a student of leadership and still very much an amateur. I, I really, my style is very much, you know, a, a people first style. I like to focus on the psychology and behaviors of engineers and, and teams, and ideally promote teams that are very like resilient and, and self-organizing. Outside of work, I have I have two young daughters and I'm the vice president of the Sydney City Bonsai Club. This is a Little awesome. Nice. Thanks for that intro, Ed. And Jason. Hi, Matt. Hi, everyone. Um, I am Jason Pereira. I'm the engineering and platform manager at OFX. Um, OFX is a, uh, provides a cross-border payment service uh, to consumers and corporate. Um, it's you know got a very you know mission focused. Um, you know we kind of do one thing and we do it well. Um, uh, it's not. It's not a startup. It's it's a it's a scale up. It's been around for twenty years. It's got you know we've got roughly six hundred uh, people uh, employees. We are growing, uh, but you know it's just the right size, the right scale. It's not too big, not too small uh, for me. Um, I look after uh, third party uh, APIs. We build APIs. Expose. You know it's it's available. We've got a developer portal uh, where other sort of um, Platforms uh, and products have need for FX and want uh, and want a service. They will integrate with us. Um, what am I passionate about? Uh, it's building uh, high-performing teams and uh, you know 
making engineers more productive than they currently are. Uh, it's uh, I think Agile has uh, has you know had a, had good intent you know with with all of the failures with projects in the 90s. Uh, you know, they had some principles that uh, really valuable principles that ha haven't really been fully realized. Agile has been successful in selling Agile. Like ev Everyone's afraid not to do Agile. No company will say we're not doing Agile, but they're all probably doing something a bit different. Um, and there's a lot of structures and workflows and methodologies in, 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 in the industry that uh, is, is constraining us. So trying to work out, uh, you know, what, what the way forward is, what are the things that we can tweak uh, to get better productivity of teams. Um, that's me. Great. Great. Thanks, uh, Jason. And look, thanks everyone for the introduction. So look, we'll move straight into kind of the first question off the rank. So, Ian, I'll get you to, yeah, read out your, your first question there and pass it on to whoever you may choose. Yeah. Thanks, Pat, again. Um, so my question to the table is, what do freedom and responsibility mean in an engineering team? Um, and I guess for me, it's like, I believe freedom and responsibility means very different things in different contexts. So different organizations or different product you're delivering um, might have different levels of freedom and responsibilities. I'm keen to hear uh, from you something that in your experience that has been implemented in your teams, um, you believe it's providing engineers with a good amount of freedom and responsibilities. Um, so I guess I'll pass over to Jason first. Sure. Um... So your question, your, uh, you know, what is freedom and responsibility in a, you know, in an engineering team context? Um, for me, it's it's giving them uh, the intent, the the requirement in effect, uh, making sure that they understand the business context, you know, uh, what the customer needs are, giving them enough information as opposed to uh, we, we where we treat. You know, engineers is probably the only group of people we treat like the kids. You know, they leave their home. Uh, you know, they uh, send the kids off to school. They're adults, but the moment they hit the their laptop, they suddenly, you know, we 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 lose this trust. You know, and we we think that no, no, no. Let's, uh, you know, they, we've got to give them very narrow scope. Otherwise, they they they're going to wander off. I think we we need to try and shift that. The, you know, we're dealing. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't do this to a doctor. You wouldn't be concerned about a doctor or a plumber or a, me a mechanic having a problem or just even a civil engineer thinking that, no, 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 we have to constrain, you know, we have to limit freedom or and provide guardrails, even though it's idea of guardrails. I think there's a lot of guardrails. There's too much guardrails. And this is that's what's leading us to uh, where we are with productivity and, and poor solutions. Um, you know, with freedom also comes responsibility and accountability. We can probably collapse a lot of the structure by giving that intent, giving the, the requirement, and that's when that ownership comes into place. Too often, with what we've got, we our engineers end up basically, you know, treat some, you know, when you treat them like kids, they'll behave like kids. They'll go, well, not my job. I'm just expected just to lay the bricks. So I'll lay the bricks. I'll just write the code. I don't have to worry about about things. So that give it to me, giving them the freedom, the responsibility will automatically emerge. Um, and you know, and then that's that's when we can iterate. Maybe you know, you've got to have constant touch points just to make sure that you know they're not going off. Um, I'll hand it over to Ed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with with most of what you're saying. I 
I think the the point you make around uh, treating engineers like kids and, and not trusting them is an interesting one. I suspect that's more of a a cultural issue with certain organizations. And certainly, you know, uh, there's a lot of organizations where that's not the case and engineers are treated like adults and expected to behave like adults and given a, a great deal of trust. So I do, I have worked in organizations where that's not true and they are watched very carefully, but I think, you know, ultimately what, what I think we're talking about here is why freedom and responsibility might be important for teams. And I think at a high level, it's it's about human psychology and understanding the change in what it's like to be a worker, you know, post-industrial revolution. And we're starting to see a different understanding of what what leads to good engagement for engineers and teams, what leads to good efficiency and effectiveness of engineers and teams. And the, the philosophy that I have, and this isn't necessarily backed up by any science, but I believe that people will thrive the best under conditions where they have maximum freedom and maximum ownership. And, you know, that means not just in terms of the work they do, but how they manage their time, how they how they, um, you know, look after their responsibilities. So I think, you know, we're moving towards a future where there's going to be less and less like oversight over engineers and more and more empowerment and freedom. Uh, and that's true for not just engineers, it's, it's true for everyone in general, I think. So, you know, I think there's also maybe to your point, the reason why engineers often get tracked so closely or there's so much attention paid to teams is because engineers tend to be quite expensive. You know, software engineering teams are, are very expensive to run. So it's very important for businesses to know that they're getting getting the outcomes that they're, they're looking for. Um, but more broadly, I think, you know, it's important to understand what what actually engages people and, and why. And I th there's a really good quote from uh, someone called Patty McCord, who worked at uh, Netflix, and it's something along the lines of having excellent colleagues, uh, clear clear requirements, and a unifying sense of purpose is like the magic formula for empowering teams. And I think by giving a team that that set of pillars, quote unquote, you're you're setting them up to be able to achieve very effective outcomes quite independently. But part of what makes that work is by pushing the decision making down to their level and giving them the authority to make decisions. And, you know, they're the closest to the information, they're the closest to the product, and therefore, they're in the best position to be making those decisions. So, yeah, and, and you know, more broadly beyond that, I think a lot of it is about creating the right environment for for teams and individuals to to take on more and more ownership and to take on more and more responsibility. And you know, you do need to have guardrails in place to to ensure that that works. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's going to work for every team and every individual, but but I think you can coach people towards that. And I think also having really good you know metrics, outcome based metrics, is a good way to set those guardrails. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Yeah, I, 
I kind of, um, from both of you, Jason, and I kind of, I sensed a summary is to me like, I guess you you guys both mentioned about that they need some some level of the trust to be given to the engineers. And also we need to find a way to maximize the freedom and responsibility. That kind of keeps reminding me about a statement people are making or lots of the engineering kind of business are making is the, the principle or the statement of you build it and you own it. Um, so that's really to kind of, tying up saying you have the freedom to building the things out, but also uh, you're gonna have the responsibility of owning that or maintaining that. Um, in the in the past, um, what I had experienced quite successful in terms of uh, in terms of a process is uh, we introduced something called OKR lead. So each of the team is delivering uh, like quarterly OKRs for the engineering team uh, in the delivery in the delivery phase of the delivering the OKRs. Leadership responsibilities um, can be delegated to each of the engineers. So it's not always like the team lead or the product manager. Uh, like Jason, what do you say? Like they are more like the parents looking after the child, which are the engineers in terms of delivering the, the OKRs. Um, and uh, uh, each of the engineers in this kind of process, they can be uh, OKR lead. So what they've been given is they have the responsibility and the freedom to, to deliver the work um, into the direction they are kind of hoping for or kind of have some level of freedom to, to directing the project. Um, but also as an OKR lead, um, they will be having the, the responsibilities of trying to make sure that the project or the product is being implemented in, is in the right way and the relevant stakeholder is being informed, all those kind of responsibilities. So I think, um, once we give the engineers with a clear guidelines in terms of how to how to get things done, how to, which direction we should be hoping for, I think that's a good amount of freedom and responsibility uh, we are providing to the engineers. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, look, I think they're all some detailed answers. I think unless anyone's got any more to add, I think that's uh, that can round up. That first line that was good. Look, I uh, appreciate everyone's input. So. But we'll move on to uh, the second question now, which is from Ed. So I'll get you to introduce your question and again, pass it on. Sure. So my question is, what strategies, guardrails or techniques could be applied to help team members be effective in high freedom environments? And why I wanted to ask this question is because I think, you know, we can talk about whether freedom and you know ownership are good things or bad things or or you know how we might create that, but I think it's it's quite interesting also to think through the types of techniques or strategies we can apply to teams in the real world to try to either make that work better or or help help um, move towards a more kind of empowered uh, workplace. So yeah, I'll, I'll pass over to you, Yihan. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Um, I think. Uh, in terms of strategies or guardrails or techniques for maximizing the the effectiveness of, of the of the engineers or the teams, I think it, it comes back to again a great balance of freedom and ownership. Um, I read a sentence from the Scrum.org. I think they are saying too much freedom can can lead to chaos, and uh, when we fail to co couple it with a strong sense of responsibility, again it's going to be like leading to the failures. Um, I think in the in the in a very high freedom environment, I feel it's a prerequisite to 
to bond the team and each individual with uh, each individual team members with a clear and meaningful measurable metrics. Uh, to me, that's their guardrails. That's what they are delivering against. That's what they are kind of being measured against. So they can take the ownership of their outcomes. So I think in, in the product delivery or the project delivery context, it'll be something more like defining a very clear and measurable success matrix, simple things like a page's conversion, uh, conversion number. Um, so, and then also getting the team member to take the ownership of those kind of success metrics as outcome that will be helping them to, to see their success and to see their contributions. Um, and then more into the day-to-day -day and the BAU context, I guess most of the teams, uh, like Jason, what you mentioned, most of the teams are practicing Agile. I think it's good to review and uh, revisit the standard Agile matrix. So simple things again, like, um, the, the burn down chart of your sprint and the, the sprint velocity, those are the good matrix for them um, to, to measure against. And then this kind of bond them back to the responsibility of, um, of what they are doing. Yeah, then I guess I'll thanks, pass sir. over to Jason. Oh. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Jihan. Um, I, I, I wanted to just clarify that um, and this is in all facets of life, you know, when people talk about freedom, you know, it's always taken to the extreme, you know, and that's, you know, it's going to be anarchy if we, if we don't have uh, very, very strict, specific laws for everything and guardrails that we end up with anarchy. That's, that's not when we talk about, when I talk about freedom, at least, that's not what, uh, you know, that's not what I mean, that, that it's just a free for all. There, there still needs to be leadership, you know, I can't put. I can't put a bunch of kids together and expect, you know, some outcome, you know, you know, build me, you know, build me a boat or anything like that. That's not going to work with a bunch of kids. There still needs to be hierarchy experience. And that's who you trust. That's just, I guess, I'm going to, you know, it's common sense in a way. We are pragmatic, you know, um, uh, and we have an interest uh, to generally do good things, build, and we understand each other. We can empathize and we know, we understand intent. So, uh, coming back to, I guess, strategies for me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the lens I'm wearing is looking at, <clears throat> you know, how, how what I've seen, how teams operate with, and how, you know, how that could change, and what, what, what processes we could put in place. So, what, first and foremost is making sure that the decision making is definitely you know, on the ground, right? Uh, it's similar between, you know, the most recently I was listening to a podcast, the difference between the Russian army and the Ukrainian army. Ukraine has moved more towards uh, decentralized uh, 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 command and control. In effect, each unit has to make that decision on its own, sometimes, you know, because it's a dynamic environment. In dynamic environments, you need that, right? And, you know, building software, it is dynamic environments versus the Russian army, which is really trying to, well, they have got kids fighting and they're treating them like kids. And, you know, here you've got, you know, probably nearly one of the largest armies in the world and they're struggling against, you know, Ukraine, you know, which is a smaller army. So that shows you, um, the power of decentralized, localized decision making, um, in effect, the, you know, the experts making that the, those decisions. Um, so, you know, to me, there's no, there's sort of no argument. It's a settled uh, discussion. You know, we're all free agents and the free agents making those choices at the ground level because they've got the information first versus someone else having it secondhand. You know, it's better for them to make the decision. So guardrails wise, I like to think um, there needs to be like, regular playbacks, shared reality is hard. 
you know, I say I wanted red, but red could be different shades of red and pink and maroon and so on and so forth. So this regular playback and, you know, uh, between uh, the right stakeholders, too often there's lots of intermediaries and that's what we've got to work out. Like, you know, is, is you know, what, what, you know, what the right, what the right stakeholders should be to provide that intent and, and whatnot. Um, teams sometimes are not given the full broad context. They just go, they told it just to build that needs to change right so give teams information have regular check-ins and playbacks i give my intent this is the outcome that i want teams will come back they're smart enough they work once they understand what the contexts are like you know headwinds coming with the economy or you know here's what the challenge is and we can do this and we can't do that so they need to understand what those constraints are and they'll come back with the universe of options one other thing is just making sure um, there's a lot of voices and in, 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 in teams and in, in large organizations, we need to understand the value of those voices, right? They're not all, there's this false equivalence that, uh, you know, you know, different people with different experience, sometimes people with, without software engineering experience, you know, uh, having an opinion about, about something, you know, everybody should have opinions and we have diversity, but we just need to be clear on, you know, uh, people's expertise. Now, the example I'll give is you're not going to ask, uh, I don't know, a, a doctor what he thinks, you know, how, how much concrete should be used for a building or what, you know, how a building should be built. So expertise, I think, uh, in software engineering is we've, we've got, we, we have, we have a lot of different voices there that sometimes don't have uh, the the right background in software engineering to be making those contributions. So it's just these little tweaks. I, I'm leaving it loose because to me, it's about iterating. There's no sort of, this is it. Let's just build this. You know, we talk about a guardrail. It's effectively this this straight road and let's put them all on. And then some, you know, the, something comes out of the other side of the factory. Things are going to go wrong. Things are, you know, they're going to find, you know, they, they, the, the teams will will discover problems and see things that we're not seeing. So I'd like to keep it loose as opposed to, you know, just at a high level uh, in principle, just that playback, getting that shared reality, and then we tweak it as we go along. Too often we don't do enough retros on everything, right? O overall, you know, is Agile the right way? Is Scrum the right way? Should we do should we do Kanban? Should we just skip stand-ups? We're not having those discussions. So we just kind of settle down on a lockdown methodology this is back to pre-2001, you know, Prince 2, PMI, this is how we do project management. We've gone back, uh, over, you know, right to where we started. Uh, we it is, it is tools and processes over people. That is where we are today. So that's that's what we're trying to fight against. That's me. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I really liked what you were touching on in terms of the decentralized command and control piece because it very much aligns with you know, how I like to think of things, which is you know, distributed leadership and creating uh, teams that are very effective at uh, managing themselves. And I, the, the question becomes from there, well, how do you, how do you actually like achieve that? <laughs> how does, if you, if you have the theory of, hey, I want to have, you know, leadership pushed down to the team level, teams able to make decisions for themselves, um, you know, and yes, we give them what we want them to achieve and, and, and try to create an environment for them to, to achieve it. But it, it can be easier said than done. And I think you need to start by teaching leadership and behavioral skills right down at, you know, the 
the you know IC level. You know, I think it's important for everyone in the team to focus on their behaviors. Um, typically, you know, when I'm hiring, I hire. 50% for their technical skills and 50% for their behavioral skills. So I think having leadership behaviors and understanding what that looks like from everybody in the team is really important to start creating a unit that can problem solve by itself. From there, you, you touched on accountability as well. Accountability, I think, is, is really important. You can say to a team, hey, we want you to make decisions. We want you to achieve these outcomes but you need to have accountability with that. Otherwise, it's easy for them to stray or it's easy for them to uh, not prioritize in a way that's that's um, as effective as you might want it to. We, we often talk about ruthless prioritization and the need to like be extremely, extremely, extremely ruthless in what the team decides to pick up at any given time. So I think that's that's important. Um, I think focusing on the outcome for teams, not the output, is really important. You know, we especially at the individual individual contributor level. You know, we're not. I'm not looking at metrics at that level, and even at a team level, I'm much more interested in in the outcomes they reach rather than how many PRs they they merge to master. Right. So. I think metrics are, are really important in that regard, assuming they're outcome based. Yihan, you talked a little bit about you build it, you run it, and I think I think that as a as a strategy is is really effective. We've, we've certainly done a lot of that recently at Dovetail, giving product teams full ownership over the the entirety of their product domain is a really effective way to drive accountability and drive ownership for teams. Because they need to, they need to be on top of their observability, their their alarms, their on-call practice. It, it drives all of these areas where they need to step up and take ownership, and and be responsible. And it's a very effective way to help them start to understand that they can solve these problems for themselves, and they don't need to wait for somebody else to tell them to do it. So I think that's really important having that that team level focus where everyone in the team understands that they can they can solve problems and that doesn't have to be problems related to their job title if you're a software engineer you know yes primarily you're you're solving software related problems but there's no reason why you can't also be solving team ways of working problems or team uh, team engagement or morale problems Everybody in the team can can play an active role in improving everything about the team. And beyond that, I think you know if you create an environment where it's it's safe for teams to fail, um, and that they learn lessons from those failures, I think that's that's really important. And you know, by safe to fail, that that means you know they're not going to ship something that <laughs> that you know uh, costs massive amounts of money to the business. Ideally, I mean, it, it can happen. But you try to create an environment where they can they can make mistakes, or where you can you you don't necessarily need to agree with them to support what they do. And you know if they get it wrong, they're going to learn valuable lessons from that. So I think I think those are good things to be thinking about. And you know as a final point, 
environments where people have a lot of freedom, maybe that doesn't suit everyone. Maybe there's people that that's not not a good environment for them to work in and they need more structure and they need somebody giving them that direction every day. So, yes, we're thinking about that too. Awesome. Again, I think that was well, well covered and some, some great answers there. So appreciate it. And we'll move on, look, to our to our next question after that, uh, which is from you, Jason. So I'll get you to introduce your question and get things going. Sure. We might be rehashing, but uh, let's 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 see how we go. Uh, so there's an implicit, I guess, stereotype uh, about engineers needing to be restrained. Um, is this, you know, otherwise they may wander off in the wrong direction. So is this a valid concern or a misconception? Uh, you know, why? Um, just to add a bit to the thinking, you know, my observation is, you know, we, we don't have this perspective uh, of other professions. I'd be, you know, be interested to hear actually, no, uh, this might be, this is pervasive. It's all, it's all uh, organizations. Um I, 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 and I just want to clarify as well that, you know, freedom is not, you know, every engineer having individual freedom to go and do what they want. In, in an army, you still have structure, right? You know, you've got the, you know, the, 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 the captain, the major, whatever, all of those different positions, and there is a structure. So maybe that is the guardrail. Probably that's what I'm missing. But the difference is that in the army, everyone's a soldier. I would like to think so. Uh, you know, they don't, don't fly in a lawyer and say, well, you know, you're going to command the army. Uh, so everyone's been a soldier. Everyone's gone through boot camp. Everyone understands what fighting is, what the craft is. Uh, and but and, and they form into these units. They're given missions. This is the mission. But nobody tells them, well, you've got to fire two bullets and then run this way and do this and that. I mean, they might do that within their smaller unit. So really what it's about is breaking it down into smaller units and then letting and and then within your unit, there's some rules. There are always rules, right? But it's it's um, it doesn't have to be codified into into a framework. So um, just wanted that 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 clarification. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Ed. Yeah, sure. There's 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 a bit to think about there. Um, I think you know I think it is an open question around engineers needing to be restrained, being implicit or not. And again, I would I would touch on it probably being cultural and probably being uh, specific to certain organizations or certain companies. Um, and again, I've worked in companies where there, there is more like handholding or, or um, constraints around engineers. And I've certainly worked with engineers who at an individual level have needed to be restrained or um, or more attention paid to them to make sure that they're not um, spending time on things that aren't, aren't priorities. So it's, it's a tough one. I don't, I don't think every organisation suffers from that. Um, and I think there's also a perspective of it probably changing as engineers become more senior. Certainly more junior engineers are much more likely to go down rabbit holes and invest time in areas which may not be particularly uh, particularly important at that time. And you know, certainly if you're working in a startup, there's a lot of times where you're not gonna you're gonna need to ignore certain tech debt or, or problem areas because it's much more important to be you know shipping features or delivering values to customers. 
So that that's tricky to to get right. Um, but I think I think you need to you need to coach around that. Um, and I don't I don't necessarily think engineers are more likely to stray than anyone else. You know, I don't think it's a a, a, a trait of engineers in particular. I think it's just as as we've mentioned previously, there's more attention paid to them because because of the 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 expense involved or or the the demand on on their on those resources, um, which has been true in every every business I've ever worked in. Engineers are uh, have a lot of work on compared to a lot of other people. So, you know, ultimately it, it comes back to again, you know, treating them like adults and delegating authority to them. Um, driving that accountability and outcomes, and in in almost all cases, people will rise to that challenge. And and you know, providing you have clear strategies, whether they're organizational strategies, uh, you know, product strategies, engineering strategies, if they understand those strategies and and uh, and are clear on why they're important, then that's a really good way to help them understand what decisions to make. So on a, on a lot of cases, I don't I don't think it's necessarily that they need to be restrained. I think they need to be coached around what priorities are. I think they need to be coached on what the strategies are, and they need to to grow and, and learn how to how to how to prioritize effectively. Um, and you know maybe as a final point, as an open question, does it matter? If, if they stray? Does it matter if they spend time going down rabbit holes? Do they do they learn from that process? The, the answer might vary on a case-to-case basis, but you know, is it is it a bad thing if they're if they're not always super focused? Thanks, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ed. I think, yeah, lots of interesting questions. And I also find um, this question quite interesting because it can be very controversial and it can be different, like Ed said, in different contexts or different business spaces, the, the answer you're getting might be very different. I think I'll give a relatively vague answer uh, in kind of in general and in my experience. Uh, I believe it's a, it is a, a, we can say it is a misconception to some extent. And because I totally agree with you um, in, in the comment you made earlier, Jason, like I think um, engineers doesn't need to be restrained, but more like uh, in the in the parent and the child way. But I think to me, it's the the generally need to be guided. I think to to all the points you guys touched on earlier, like they, they do need clear structure. The clear structure helps, and uh, I think to me also is with some guidance the. It helps them to align in a teamwork context. Um, to me, the restraint is more like orchestration instead of handholding. Because, um, like, yeah, they they have the, they are the expertise in the area. They are free to make their decisions, and they they, they should be the expert to make the decisions in lots of the context as well. Um, and I guess to also answering your your question in a more specific way, I feel um, those kind of um, Guidance or the the restraint probably not only applying to engineers, but those kind of the guidance probably it's happening or needed in in lots of different ways. Like if you if you joining a like a music concert, like you will be uh, seeing someone they're orchestrating, so they do need to be guided and um, to to play the 
play the same music at the same time, the same phase. Um, and also, I guess, painting as well. Like if we bring a number of different artists into the same room, asking them to draw something, you probably will be ending up very different results. So I think in, in a teamwork environment, in general, I guess some of the guidance and some of the orchestration does make sense. Um, and also, secondly, like in the context of the software development, I think a restraint, it's, I think it's instead of keeping them going into the wrong direction, again, I feel sometimes restraint is to making sure they are go they are not going to different directions. So um, as you know, like um, there are always so many different approaches we can we can we can do, so many different solutions we can adopt for very specific implementation uh, in a, in a product delivery world. So uh, again, software engineering to me it's a it's a teamwork. So I foresee lots of different challenges if each of them are going into a different direction. So in those kind of cases, some level of the restraint and it's necessary, but again, not hand-holding, but it's more orchestrating. Right. Yeah. Sorry. No, <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I definitely, you know, it's all about perspective, you know, uh, Ed and Yihan, and you've got, and what I realize is we all got, we're looking at it from a very different lens. Um, and I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. It's just depending on, uh, what we mean by freedom and freedom at what level and where is the, the constraints coming from. What I will say is that it's worthwhile looking at history, right? If you if you look at the states, why the states is the way they are, the relationship between police and black people and, and guns and everything goes back to slavery, right? That all those structures, all those uh, uh, institutions, you know, can be traced back. So if, if, you know, this, again, this is not backed by any science, but it's a lot of literature around this. One of the reasons why we, just in this conversation with the kind of language that we have around hand-holding, restraint, guidance, it's because, uh, just because just constant time, I'm going to short, shorten the story. Women were the first programmers and software engineers. And so the men who had no idea about what software engineering had to be their project managers. Right. So there's this long history, you know, from the early 20th century with, the, you know, some of these mechanical machines right up until probably the 70s, the 80s before then, you know, I guess, I guess men took over in that sense. But those structures stayed in place where oh, this is something that had to be controlled. This, you know, this this could be an anecdotal apocryphal. And I'm sure somebody's going to do a Ph.D. and, and, and look into this, um, you know, because uh, doctors don't have this problem. Right. Doctors don't need a project manager or some administrator to tell them how to do medicine. They're like, what do you know about medicine? I know, you know, I'm going to decide for the patient and I'll decide what the solution is. The administrator just administrates. That doesn't mean you don't need administrators. You need administrators to, to do things. But in it's our power structures. You know, when I talk about freedom, it's the power structures that we have and where we're getting the, those that direction from and deciding whether we do agile scrum or, or waterfall or whatever, whatever the next thing and what we can try and what we can't try and, you know, how we track time and so on and so forth. Um, fantastic discussion, guys. Awesome, you, awesome. Thank you. Thanks everyone for the answers. So look, I'll do a short, a little quick fire one to try and keep everyone's, we'll go last bit because I know we've obviously gone on for a bit now and everyone's give, given some detailed responses. Just to, there was one other, obviously Jackie was meant to be, but wasn't, but we're just to one minute kind of answer and, and we can kind of wrap it up after that. But
is ownership an, inher- an inherent personal attribute rather than a skill? So I'll start with Ed, you first. Quick one minute answer, and we'll bang them out. Sure. I mean, I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. I think primarily it's a skill that's developed. And I think, you know, I think it's developed in us early through, you know, having a strong work ethic. Um, but, you know, perhaps there is an inherent aspect to it. But I think, yeah, work ethic, you can coach it around, you know, training wheels is having like a definition of done, things like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's yeah a bit of both, but mostly it's a it's a taught taught skill. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Yihan. You next. Yeah. Um. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. I think while sometimes I think it's a personal attribute, but I guess for example, I joined the business very in the very early phase, and the, lots of the the, the implementation are handwritten by myself. So I was naturally being emotional attached to those kind of projects and uh, and the implementation. So. I would say like ownership is more like a, a like an inherent personal attribute I have, um, and it's been much more harder for for the people who joined later, who who just joined yesterday, for example, to to feel the ownership. But I do believe uh, it is a is a skill, or may, maybe even to the extent to some level, it's a culture that the business should be investing in, like uh, the business or the team should be developing their people on. Um, in, in practice, I feel it's a skill that uh, the business can develop their, their people on, uh, starting with simple things like owning owning the one-on-one meetings, like like the manager set up with, with the engineers, like bringing the agendas to talk about. So there are lots of practice, lots of those kind of culture behaviors we, we can set up people for. Awesome. Thanks for that. And Jason, to round it off. Uh, I think it's inherent. It's it's not a, a skill that needs to be learned. We like collecting things. We are hoarders. Uh, you know, resources is scarce. I think just because it's it's intangible, you know, can't touch, feel, you know, softwares or systems. We want to own things. Our engineers. I mean, we're all seeking permission. We're like, can I have this? I I'd, I'd like to manage this. You know, uh, it's just sometimes there's not enough real estate. There's too many people, <laughs> so everybody owns everything and nobody owns anything. You know, it's we 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 naturally want to own and manage things. Awesome. Thanks, for that Jason. All right, great. Well, look, thanks everyone for your time uh, and everyone, you know, some well-detailed answers as well. So I think we'll wrap it up from here. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, hopefully this podcast has delivered some great value around freedom and ownership. Again, I think we'll, everyone was very detailed as well uh, to help out in the engineering teams and look forward to seeing you all again next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast. Bye for now.